0: Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It's my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Ellen Schrecker. Ellen Schrecker is a retired professor of American history at Yeshiva University and is a leading authority on McCarthyism. Her books include Many Are the Crimes, McCarthyism in America, and No Ivory Tower, McCarthyism in the Universities. Ellen Schrecker, it's a very timely topic. Welcome to Talk Nation Radio.
1: Thank you very much, David, and it's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thanks for coming on. I'm sure as an expert on the term McCarthyism, you see the term used accurately and perhaps misused. Um, Why don't we start with what was McCarthyism?
1: Okay, well, let's begin at the beginning with the name. McCarthyism was much more than just the wild antics of one junior senator from Wisconsin, Joseph McCarthy. It was really a kind of uh, term that I think most accurately can be described as a rather broad-based, widespread campaign against political dissent, perhaps it was, in fact, the most wide-ranging and longest-lasting episode of political repression in the United States.
0: And and so that's Uh, taking it as something that preceded and continued after the, the antics of Senator McCarthy?
1: Very much so. McCarthy was really a figure of some importance politically for... Maybe three and a half years. That's it. But McCarthyism as such, this a campaign that in the name of national security and we have to realize that national security in the twentieth and twenty first century is often a cover for political repression, a justification for cracking down on dissent. McCarthyism really lasted from the onset of the cold war until sometime in the mid-60s, although it was petering out by the late 50s. But there were still moments when people were sent to jail for the perfectly legal crime, quote-unquote, of belonging to the Communist Party, an unpopular political party that was nonetheless legal. So what we were seeing throughout this period is a period of accusations of communism, charges that the Truman administration in the late 1940s and early 50s was shielding communists in government. Now, one of the reasons that McCarthyism, this form of political oppression, was so powerful was that it was plausible. There were not Reds under every bed, although at times the sort of general hysterical political atmosphere may have made it seem the case. But there had been members of the Communist Party who during World War II, when the United States and the Soviet Union were allied, did in fact spy for the Kremlin. The fact is, That they were discovered, they were outed, and by the late 1940s, there really was no threat, no credible threat of communist espionage in the United States, even though earlier it had existed, and in fact had been, unfortunately, very successful since it uh, gave the Soviet Union information about the atomic bomb.
0: And and yet this took off after subsequent to the time when it was a plausible and realistic exactly, concern, exactly. and 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 it took Why off. If, it it yeah. took off. I, I imagine you would say not just because of a small right wing sect, but because of a, of a mainstream, popular, if misguided belief. Is that is that fair to that say? That
1: is very much the case, although. What's important to realize is that many of the people and institutions that created this scenario of the quote unquote threat of communism had been active as far back as the 30s, even before that. Uh, Probably the most powerful uh, person involved with this anti communist campaign that we now call McCarthyism uh, was. J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI. And if we had known then what we know now about what Hoover and the FBI had been doing in the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, we probably would have named that phenomenon Hooverism. It's much more accurate. Hoover was really very much involved in creating not just the notion of a communist threat, but publicizing it and also creating the mechanism for uh, implementing it. And what's interesting about McCarthyism and certainly political repression in the United States in the 1940s and 50s is that it operated in accordance with a two-stage procedure. The first stage was exposing people as communists. This could be done by a Congressional Investigating Committee, the most powerful of which was one called the House Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC. Uh, Joseph McCarthy, after the Republicans took power in 1953, had his own committee and he was investigating. There were a number of similar committees at the state and even local levels. But also uh, right-wing journalists, I guess the um, equivalent of the Breitbart perhaps, uh, were spreading accusations of communism. The FBI was secretly leaking information about people, um, uh, giving information about people's political activities to congressional committees, to governors to university presidents. Um, So what you were seeing was a uh, campaign first to expose people, and then the second stage after the exposure was punitive, to punish them. And most of the time, this punishment was economic. People lost their jobs and then were blacklisted the most well known of these blacklists took place within the entertainment industry but there were blacklists uh within the um nonprofit sector within universities and colleges and it was pretty widespread the fbi often secretly would inform a um, employer of that one of his employees quote unquote um you know, subversive past. So what you had was an atmosphere where um, there was a fear on the part of people who had once been politically active on the left, and they pulled back.
0: Yeah. And there's nobody better at being afraid in this country than, than liberals. I think when we look back at McCarthyism, we think of it as Republican and partisan and and right-wing. Uh, you've written uh, about Hubert Humphrey supporting concentration camps for communists. Can you can you talk about the role of, of liberals and Democrats?
1: Sure. Um, after all, one of the main goals, one of the main functions, Of mccarthyism from the beginning these charges of communist aversion were being used in a very partisan manner by republican politicians who especially in the aftermath of the 1948 election when harry truman won a surprise victory over the republican candidate uh, these people republican politicians began to look for an issue. They had been running against the New Deal and had discovered that things like Social Security were popular. So they had to find something to run against. And they picked up on communist subversion in the government and began to charge the Democratic administration uh, with shielding people who were subversive, charge it with being... Soft on communism and the democratic politicians and people in liberal organizations became terrified they were afraid that they would somehow be accused of shielding um, you know subversive communist spies or something so what they did was try to preempt that uh, attack and So you have, for example, the Truman administration, in the aftermath of the 1946 election, which elected a Republican Congress, uh, trying to protect its rear by issuing a loyalty security program that had essentially been designed by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. And it was highly ideological. It had questionnaires. People were being asked if uh, they had uh, friends of a different race. This is a period of high segregation within the United States. And communists were among the few groups that, white groups, not civil rights groups as such, that supported racial integration. Um, so you have a um, very repressive loyalty security program that is essentially creating a political test for employment that's being implemented by the Democratic administration of Harry Truman, who is so terrified of being uh, charged with protecting communists that they want to get rid of them themselves. And you have these kind of purges within a number of mainstream liberal organizations, like, of all things, the ACLU, the NAACP groups that you wouldn't think of as being um, repressive and implementing this kind of behavior. But the 1950s was very scary uh, for liberals. I think they've learned their lessons uh, since then. But anyhow, during this whole period, there was a law that was passed called 1950, called the Internal Security Act, or um, better known as the McCarran Act, uh, named after a senator from Nevada who was very, very conservative and anti communist. And as this act is coming before Congress, uh, liberals are trying to make an end run ab- against it by proposing even more uh, repressive measures than were in the original bill. Much of the original bill, by the way, had been drawn up by none other than Richard Nixon, who had been a young congressman serving on HUAC, the House Un-American Activities Committee, and had made his political career out of anti-communism. And the bill uh, that was passed required all members of the Communist Party to register with the uh, something called the Subversive Activities Control Board. And it was uh, aimed at all kinds of left-wing activities that were connected to the Communist Party. And it's important to realize, by the way, that at its peak, The Communist Party may have had 75,000 to 100,000 members. Most people went in for a little bit, joined when they were students and left. Uh, And during the 19th, it was always unpopular, always unpopular. It was never a threat to the United States politically in any way, shape, or form. But for many... um, Young people, uh, idealistic people during the 30s, which was the period of the Depression, of a lot of labor trouble. Um, People looked at the Communist Party as the most effective organization for implementing the kinds of measures that they wanted, like uh, uh, racial equality, like... Um, labor organizing, like peace movements, anti-fascism. And so it did have a brief moment of activism. Its members were the most energetic people on the left, but it was not an organization that ever, ever threatened the United States in uh, any political way.
0: Um,
1: But what happened with all of these measures... The loyalty security program, the investigations by congressional committees, the charges of Senator McCarthy, together created an atmosphere of fear, of timidity, of pulling back because you could be, um, the FBI might have a file on you. You might have signed a petition uh, to put a member of the Communist Party on the ballot. Didn't mean you were going to vote communist. But you might think that this is a democratic thing to do, that all voices should be represented. So what you had was people pulling back uh, a real narrowing of the political spectrum.
0: Yeah. We, we're we speaking with Ellen Schrecker, whose books include Many Are the Crimes, McCarthyism in America, and No Ivory Tower, McCarthyism in the Universities. Ellen, I'd love to turn for a second to this idea uh, that you mentioned that liberals learned their lessons, and they know better now. Um, because I, I, I throw out as a possible challenge to that this uh, bizarre situation we're in, in which we have a new president, Uh, blatantly, demonstrably uh, committing numerous offenses including violations of the Foreign and Domestic Emoluments Clauses of the Constitution and other forms of corruption that are, are just documented beyond question and for the most part Democrats and liberals uh, are going after him uh, for unproven accusations, anything they can grab a hold of that has anything to do with Russia, uh, and making making friendship and, and lack of sufficient hostility toward Russia into some sort of treasonous offense. It, it, it I, I understand that you know the motivation is to claim that Hillary Clinton won the election if, or would have without foreign interference. You know that this may be the the main motivation, but the result is you know, this demonization of of Russia uh, and this creation of greater hostility with another nuclear government and, and all sorts of false accusations and hostility piled on with apparent disregard for possible catastrophic consequences. Um, am, am I wrong to see McCarthyism there?
1: Um... It's related. Uh, clearly, they are looking for something that can um, bring in national security issues where they think that they're that it's strong. Um, it's not. I, I don't think it's McCarthyism. I think it's kind of silly. But um, I know I. I've been asked this question before, and my feeling is I'm just not well enough informed. I don't know enough, and I don't think anybody knows enough about what was going on uh, with the so- Soviet Union and the election. Um, certainly, it's an issue that the Democrats are picking up on, and it's not making uh, American Soviet—I mean American-Russian relations uh, any more, um, what can we say, uh, peaceful. But uh, I think the the real issue and what really bothers me more than that is the fact that what we're losing in this country because of um, sort of powerful Republican uh, years of a powerful Republican campaign to take over state houses, to uh, you know, um, to de- deprive people of their votes, to gerrymander, uh, congressional districts, and, and uh, at a lower level as well. What we're seeing is a real attack on American democracy that is uh, being run certainly with a lot of corporate assistance, and is using um, uh, anti-immigrant stuff to uh, sort of fire up a, a kind of nationalism that could be very destructive. So I'm, I'm really much more worried about that than I am about the attempt of uh, the Democrats, who unfortunately at the moment have very little power. You know, let us hope that they will uh, try to use um, the uh, filibuster effectively when they can. But there's not too much they can do to to prevent a lot of bad things happening. Um, So I know what you mean about uh, this being McCarthyism in terms of charges of, uh, you know, collaborating with a quote-unquote national enemy. But I don't think this is the major issue at the moment.
0: Well, I wasn't making any case what was the major issue yeah. or that we should disregard any other important issues. and I certainly yeah. am horrified to my core by both of the topics you've mentioned uh, you know but uh, or the one I've mentioned and the one you've mentioned. but it, it does seem to me that even in the height of traditional McCarthyism in the 50s, uh, the silliest accusations weren't totally disproven by public evidence. There was the possibility that there was some communist uh, spy in the government that you couldn't say otherwise. I mean, it seems exactly identical to me to the situation now, where there remains the possibility that Vladimir Putin somehow uh, sabotaged the U.S. election. You know, there's no evidence, uh, but the, but the possibility exists. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and that's so a
1: good point.
0: On on that basis, you know, the same sort of prioritization is 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 taking place of what to what to accuse people of which which cases of perjury to uh, to to get upset about uh you know which officials to denounce for for treason while numerous other serious problems and legitimate offenses and abuses are are, are just deemed uh unimportant
1: right well i agree with you that this is clearly a uh Diversion, but I, th- you know, I think it uh, in that it's that regard, it's very much like, uh, you know, the communist in government stuff that the Republicans were talking about in the late 1940s.
0: Yeah. But
1: um, you know, I don't think it's McCarthyism as such. I really don't. Okay. I think uh, you get because. Um, it's one thing to uh, criticize and demonize Russia. It's another thing to attack uh, people at home. It's another thing to focus on political dissenters in the United States. And I think to that extreme, you know, McCarthyism... Is sometimes very narrowly defined as making unfounded charges, right? Sure. What, which is what McCarthy did. But I think that um, it can't be expanded to include the entire Cold War. I think that sort of deprives it of its exp- explanatory power. So you, you, you we, we you're talking about going after dissent as a uh, a form of political repression.
0: Yeah, and you—you've looked quite a bit in that regard at what's happening in academia, not just uh, with regard to activists in the streets. What—what um, what signs of McCarthyism are you seeing in in U.S. academia at present?
1: Um, troubling uh, moments, when, uh, in particular, of at least until recently over the issue of uh, Israel and Palestine. Um, The most blatant violations of academic freedom have occurred uh, with regard to people uh, who have um, supported the Palestinian cause. And um, again, we're seeing... uh, University presidents, supposedly part of a liberal university world, uh, giving in mainly to pressure from um, outside funders and groups like that. Uh, we are seeing, for example, now there's something called a professor's watch list of, I don't know, some 200 names put out by a uh, right-wing student group, and... Um, that lists uh, professors who supposedly are um attacking conserv their the conservative students in their classes. This is completely false. Again, another myth um is it plausible? Maybe. But there aren't <laughs> nobody's really come up with many any cases of that. So um, you know, what we're seeing is the whole kind of tenor of political life on campus uh, being ramped up, being polarized, and then um, leading to uh, attacks on individuals. What's nice, and remember, one of the things about the McCarthy period was how many liberal organizations caved in. Well, the moment that this professor's watch list was created, the uh, main organization of American professors that uh, protects academic freedom. It's called the American Association of University Professors, um, which in the 1950s didn't do a thing to protect the more than 100 professors who were simply fired during the McCarthy period uh, for refusing to name names or Uh, standing up against a congressional committee like McCarthy, Uh, the American Association of University Professors this time said, hey, wait a minute, this uh, could be a new form of McCarthyism. So we are going to ask all our members to write to this group and ask to have your name put on it.
0: Very good. We have just a minute left. It does seem like there is a widespread impact on numerous issues of people backing off on criticizing Israel, people up to and including the president backing off on more friendly relations with Russia. Uh, I know of peace advocates backing off on pushing friendly relations with Russia or with Muslim nations. Um, what, what should we be doing uh, to resist these kinds of pressures?
1: Well, I think the most important thing is uh, simply to on top of these issues and um, get more information. I mean one of the problems is that there's you know as you know there's so much false news out there that it's kind of hard to figure out what's actually going on, especially with a administration if you want to call it that, <laughs> uh, that is busily creating static. You know, and I think, what should American policy be Uh, in most of the world not to intervene and certainly not to intervene militarily? That might be a
0: start. That would be an excellent start, and perhaps we can get better informed by reading your books. They include Many Are the Crimes, McCarthyism in America, and No Ivory Tower, McCarthyism in the Universities. Ellen Schrecker, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation
1: Radio. Thank you very much.
0: This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war